Commencing countdown. Three, two, one. This is the Contracting Experience. Connecting government contracting professionals to the world around them through conversations with acquisition influencers, insights into evolving hot topics, and sharing lessons learned from the field. In this episode, we are talking to the Commandant of the Acquisition Instructor Course, or AQUIC, Colonel Steve Smith. The Vice Chief of Staff of the Air Force directed the establishment of an Advanced Acquisition Career Field Training Course developed in partnership with the United States Air Force Weapons School. This unique opportunity for United States Air Force and United States Space Force acquisition professionals aligns with the Force Modernization Talent Management Framework to develop broadly experienced acquisition leaders. Colonel Smith discusses the importance of the program and why high-performing Air Force military and civilian members should consider applying for the upcoming offering of the Acquisition Instructor Course. All right, Colonel Smith, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having us here, and thanks for putting on a, uh, a venue such as this so that folks have an opportunity to learn what's out there outside of just water cooler talk. And I know water cooler talk's been a lot harder the last year and a half or so, and so this is a, this is a great venue. And I'll say this is my first podcast, so if I screw it up, you could just blame it on the C-130 and me, and that's it. Welcome. Yeah, we appreciate like it. it. So, sir, what is the Acquisition Instructor course, and why was it established? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, it, so some of that I'll answer by telling you what it is and kind of where it got started, and some of that is based on some of the history that comes back through um, over time and all the way back into probably the 60s and 70s. And so in its basic essence, the Acquisitions Instructor course is a vice chief of staff-initiated tasking to Air, Air Force Materiel Command to integrate acquisition professionals into the United States Air Force Weapons School. And so the Air Force Weapons School itself, operated out of Nellis, owned by ACC, is really the pinnacle training platform for your tactical execution and instructorship in in, in your line warfighter. And, and it's grown over years throughout history. It started as the fighter weapon school, mostly focused on the atrophy of dogfighting skills and um, just basic fighter maneuvering that, that, that we had seen post-Korea, Vietnam, uh, as drawdowns have happened and things like that. And so the, the weapon school itself was really designed to train at that tactical level. And so the vice chief, at, along the way, as part of his tenure, recognized uh, that there was this gap between acquisitions and operations. And a lot of it stemmed from his back in the day, you know, back in my day moment where he remembers that there used to be operational counterparts inside of program offices offering that employment perspective, offering that operational perspective, that, that, that wartime kind of tip of the spear perspective on it. And through personnel decisions, just uh, the, the nature of defense, rising and shrinking budgets and personnel and everything like that, um, a lot of those folks have been pulled out of those program offices and have been put into 
the back into the flight line. And so the, we, we need them to fly the flight line in order for the day-to-day -day operations, particularly coming out of 20 years of operations in Afghanistan, Gulf Wars before that, Southern Watch, Northern Watch, Joint Forge, Joint Guardian, all, all of the operations around the world, we, we realize that we need them in order just to be able to sustain our operational posture. And so he recognized that there was a gap between acquisitions and operations and instructed AFMC to design a course in that weapon school methodology that would ultimately be integrated and, and build that network of cadre and graduates that would infuse into the operational community that ultimately would be that gap filler that fills out there. And so that, that was the original tasking we got. And, and, there, and there really wasn't much more behind it than that. So we really kind of had to go early early on and figure out what, what it is we were gonna do. And so, and I think that that's one of the reasons why I was brought in as a non-acquisitions personnel um, weapon school experience, both as a student and cadre and, and a, uh, a squadron DO out of the, uh, the C-130 division to, to, to provide that weapon school methodology perspective and then pair that with the first four folks that, uh, that we had when we started this back in July of 2019 uh, who all had very extensive acquisitions experience. So, so you kind of paired the two. And so what it was was let's build this course in that methodology in order to provide that value not only to the operational community and the program offices, but to the enterprise as a whole. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things that we, we did was we just got out on the road just went on the road just to go see the entire enterprise. And it took us probably, we were TDY for the majority of the first six months, mm -hmm. seeing the test center, seeing the nuke warfare center, seeing SMC and, and what was now, you know, starting to become the Space Force, uh, LCMC, um, AFRL, you know, I mean, everything. We were just trying to soak it on and to say, okay, what does everybody do? Right. And, and what does this course need to focus on? Like I said, we, we got the tasking. We had zero left and right boundaries. They gave us uh, a pot of money and said, go figure it out. Uh, put us in a conference room and said, go, go figure it out. And that's where we lived literally for about a year. We, we lived in a conference room uh, smaller than this one and, and just a bunch of whiteboards, a bunch of arguments, a bunch of brown liquid and just tried to figure out what that looked like. Yeah. And then ultimately we went back to the vice chief and, and laid out our plan and said, this is, what we, this is what we think you want us to do. And he said, absolutely, that's what I want you to do. What we realized was getting into the weapon school is not an easy endeavor. And even for your flight line flying platforms, it's not an easy endeavor. Um, so when I graduated the weapon school, which was in uh, class 06 Alpha, we were still a part of the air mobility weapon school. So AMC had stood up their own as they worked a how to get their syllabus, their curriculum, all that stuff, they realized, they, they recognized the need for it, but how do you break into that fighter weapon school? And so the mobility air forces, C-17, C-130s, KC-135s, we spent 10 years building the program until final acceptance, which happened in the 06 Bravo class. And a lot of other platforms have similars. The U-2s just recently went through a validation course. They, it took them 10 years to get in also. And so cyber's one of the newer ones that came in, um, nuke weapons. And so now, now you look at the weapon school and it's a basically just about everything that you have 
in the Air Force inventory is represented in that kind of multifunctional uh, piece. And so General Wilson at the time recognized, well, we need to include acquisitions into there. You can imagine there's a lot of pushback that comes from that. Well, you're not a, you're not a major weapon system. You're not, uh, you know, acquisitions inherently is not very tactical. It's more of on that strategic side, uh, you know, maybe that higher operational or, or even into the strategic side. And so what, what do we provide as a tactical? That was probably our number one problem is what do we provide on that tactical day-to-day -day level mm -hmm. in order to ultimately get that acceptance? Mm -hmm. And so at the end of it, it's a six-month course. It's about five and a half months long. It's, uh, uh, there's only two courses per year. Uh, one starts in January and ends in mid-June. The second one, the Bravo course, that, the first one's called the Alpha course. The second one, the Bravo course, starts uh, in early July and goes all the way through mid-December. And it focuses on the course itself, the way, we've, we, the way we've got it designed is really focused in a multifunctional acquisitions-based educational and training. It's really training. Uh, with operations and industry kind of infused into it. And so we are... Acquisitions academics really focus on your program management, your systems engineering, logistics sustainment, mm -hmm. financial management, as well as, how could I forget? Contracting. The contracting The contracting, podcast. right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I G-locked there for a minute. Um, I didn't catch it either. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, so those five areas. And, and, and what we realized was that in order for us to build that network, that team, that, that was then going to be able to bridge that gap and learn that employment and, and, and help with that operational piece. You know, acquisitions is probably one of the bigger of the team sports in the Air Force. You know, I, I can send uh, a four ship of Vipers up there and they can do a lot of damage and they can do it by themselves. But they're, a, they're way more effective when you can pair them with early warning or air battle management or some kind of other strike asset. And then you start to see that build. And that's really the 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 weapon school methodology is, it's that integration. So why aren't we more integrated in the acquisitions enterprise was our thought process, which is why we came up with those five. And then those are kind of our core academic training functional areas. Because if you can build that team inside of acquisitions, now you, you can be really dangerous on behalf of the American warfighter and, and for the nation itself. And then, and then you can actually bring something to bear that is needed at the time that it's needed um, for the warfighter to actually utilize. And so it's a five and a half month course that is designed to ultimately integrate into the weapon school, but more importantly, to train our individuals in really those five areas, but with the focus on the back end once they graduate. And that's to be that integrator that integrator of the program office, wherever they're going to, back into the operational community. But it's also that integration of acquisitions with industry and, and to figure out how do we keep that industrial base alive and functional to what we need and innovative enough in order for us to maintain that, you know, any technical advantages that we have along the way. And then the third piece on that integration is really, and th this was probably the, the bigger eye opener for me in that first six months was the acquisitions to acquisitions integration. A lot of program offices, 
they're, they're so saturated with work that very rarely what we found do they look up and see what's going on around them. And as you look at the way that the world is changing and how quickly technology changes and everybody's entering this multi-dimensional, multi-domain fight, when you have program offices that are just heads down trying to get to that next thing, that you know, that next milestone, that next event that's going on, they're, they're missing what's going on around them and how those all integrate together. Um, so, so there's that integration. There's obviously that tactical expertise that comes with being able to do the job day to day and being able to, you're not gonna be an expert, I'm not gonna take a contracting officer and make them an expert program manager or vice versa or a, or a financial manager or anything like that. But we can train them so that they at least speak the language where they can be dangerous going into a different team and a different program office and actually know when they're being lied to, when they're being told truth data or be able to ask those smart questions along the way. And so that, those, those integration pieces right there, as well as that tactical expertise. And then probably the biggest thing out of it is, you know, in that weapon school methodology is that, that notion of instructorship and, and what does that mean? And, and so like we were talking about a little earlier, the, the, just the term instructorship itself tends to have a negative connotation uh, amongst a lot of the workforce because they automatically revert back to that platform education, whether it's at AFIT or, you know, through DAU as they're, as they're doing their uh, APDP levels. And, but at the end of it, really what it is, is being that instructor inside the unit that is still the tactical expert, still flying the line, but being able to share that knowledge with those that are around them. Um, and, and that's really kind of the crux of what the weapon school is, is they're, they're instructors mm -hmm. who are really good at what they do and they still do what they do on a day-to-day -day basis, but then they have almost that mandate to make sure that they're raising the level of talent around them. That's what we want to create. That's, that's what we want our graduates to go out and do and be in order to help bridge those three gaps that we found, not just acquisitions and operations. That's, that's really kind of what General Wilson told us, but what we found was there's other gaps that, that, that our graduates need to be filling also. Right. And that's that acquisitions to industry and acquisitions to acquisitions. Right. Now, I think you've touched on a lot of this next question, but I just want to kind of hit it home because I know you guys, you know, you want the right people applying for this because you do have a process to go through to whittle it down to the amount of people that actually can do the program. And like you said, you want people to move forward after they're done with the program to really integrate. So can you talk and just really solidify like what type of applicant this program is designed for? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so each one of those two classes, the, the, the max students that we are able to have right now is, is up to 10. And so you can just tell 10, 10 students per class, 20 per year in and of itself is, is a very small percentage of the acquisitions enterprise, especially when you start looking at the 6X, really military AFSCs, and then you pile in the civilian equivalents that come with those because it is open to civilians. And so you're looking from everything from your 6.1s, your, your scientists and your, to your 6.2s with your engineers, 6.3s as PMs, 6.4s and 6.5s. All of those are open but there's only 10 slots per class. And so really what it comes down to is that, that, that record of performance that really it's a lot of the folks that we see apply have the aptitude mm -hmm. 
and really what separates those that we're really starting to select is really that attitude. It's that desire to go buck the system, to be that disrupting force that's out there, uh, to take on that instructor role that, that we said has that negative connotation. Right. And so when we look at where are folks most dangerous in their career, where are they probably the most knowledgeable about that tactical level execution of the day-to-day -day job. Mm -hmm. and, and, it's, and it's right there in that, that, that CGO, uh, you know, captain, young major, GS-12, GS-13, where they're, they're the ones that are really where the rubber meets the road, let's face it, you know? So, you know, I'm sitting here as an 06 and, and, and sure, you, you know, you wear wings and I talk about, you know, back in my day when we used to go fly this, that, and the other, but I will never be as good as I was when I was a captain. I was just, it was just the focus. And, and, and those are the folks that we're looking for, the folks that are focused in the grind, where the rubber meets the road, getting the job done not so much worried about strategic policy and strategic right. vision, but folks that are, how do I pick up the ball today and move it down the field so that tomorrow I've got less yardage to cover in order to get it across that goal line. Right. And so with that, when you look at our applicants, I mean, age range wise, if you're looking at it for on the military side, six two, six threes, we're really targeting that seven to 11 year mark. So they're, they're post SOS, they're pre IDE, they're right in that sweet spot of, they've got some experience under their belt. They've probably had, you know, two, maybe three PCSs with, with different assignments in between there as they PCA to uh, different program offices and different jobs and that experience. And so they're, they're right there where they're, they're able to kind of see the world for what it is but also see the world for what it could be. And then you look at your six fours and six fives and uh, we, we worked a lot with the developmental teams and officer assignment teams. And so General Holt was, a, uh, it was probably one of the first early adopters of this program and offered us a lot of uh, ad advice and insight into who we should be selecting when it comes to age range. And, and we realized that on the PK and the FM side, they have that opportunity, particularly on the military side, they have the opportunity to go and be that squadron commander, that, you know, that, that base level leadership at an earlier age than what you find in a normal operational world. So they typically go as a major, most of the time they do two, sometimes three commands once they get to that range. So for them, it's about five to nine years because what we didn't wanna do, we wanna be able to get our we want the Air Force and acquisition enterprise to be able to get their return on investment out of the training that they receive and in order to apply it, but we don't want to curtail any opportunities for them to go be squadron commanders and, 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 and that professional mobility. And so when you look at the equivalence of those, uh, you know, you, that's why you're looking at that GS-12, GS-13 that's in those same right. positions. And, and, and I, I think that's one of the big things that separates a quick from the actual weapon school as it is right now is I mean they're they're active duty officers and enlisted that they train and and AFMC just I mean we rely on the civilians we rely on contractors we rely on civilian employees to do the day-to-day -day job we, we we honestly couldn't do it without them and so they need just as many opportunities as your military does and so uh, we very quickly realized that we needed to expand that offering to include civilians. Right. 
and, and we've, had, we've had applicants that have applied. Unfortunately, we have not gotten to a position where we have selected one yet, but we've got applicants coming in from you know, all over the place. We had one from Air Mobility Command, Space Force, you know, obviously the acquisition enterprise, LCMC, and, and kind of your, your traditional ones, but we really look forward to having civilians in our course because quite frankly, they're probably going to be that continuity that's gonna provide that return on investment a lot longer than what you would find out of the military. Right. So what should program participants expect from the program and what types of organizations will they be working with? Oh, that's a great question. So uh, obviously we're, we're very much building this airplane as we, uh, as we fly it, uh, since we've only been really in existence. Timeline-wise, we've really only been in existence since July of 19. And so if you back it up on a pure timeline, that's two years. But you also got to throw a global pandemic that's in there and everything that came with that. And so in earnest, outside of that first six months where we just had to figure out what are we doing? What, what is our tasking? And that literally took the first six months. And then, and then the next group that we had selected uh, through the selection process, we brought them in and then right about, you know, just when we're starting to hit our stride and starting to look at what does curriculum need to look like is when the, the pandemic started. And, and quite frankly, it's a TDY here to Wright Pat with multiple TDYs out from Wright Pat. And so we couldn't really justify keeping some of these folks that were in Elmendorf and LA and some other places, couldn't really justify keeping them here. So had to make that strategic decision in order to send them home, in order to make sure that they were safe, their families were safe, so we really kind of hit this strategic pause starting in about March of 20 until about July. Yeah. Luckily, before we sent everybody home, we were able to hold a selection board for that follow-on class. And, and, and those folks, when they came in, they, they were essentially starting from scratch because of that pause. And, yeah. and so then we really got started in earnest, started building curriculum, started, um, we were able to hire some contract subject matter experts in those five functional areas that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, in order to help us start really kind of developing that curriculum, doing the thought exercises of what do we want to teach? What, where do we want to go? And so the program itself, outside of the you know, pure academics, classroom, butt in seat, take a quiz, right? Better pass it with an 80 because there is an attrition rate. If you're failing, it is a course that you can uh, be removed from. We also realized that we needed to, it can't be purely academic, there has to be some experiential. If we're gonna bridge those gaps, we have to go to them. And so, in General Wilson's you know, tasking, we always start each class with a what's called Core One Academics, and that's held out at Nellis Air Force Base with all of the brand new weapons undergrads. They're called WUGs for students that are going through the weapons school. And, and they basically do a weeks long of level setting academics for everybody. And that means your C-130 guys are learning bombs and fuses and air-to-air -air missiles. And your fighter folks are learning airdrop theory and cyber threats and nuke weapons and everything in between. And so they basically take a smattering of everything and put students just through really just a, just a grind week and with academic tests every day. So you're usually in class about eight to five, mm -hmm. and then most of your tests are classified, so it's not like you can take it home. Right. You're studying in a vault, and then at 7 a.m. you're taking a test that is graded, that is failable, and, and so we start, we start at Nellis, and then we bring them back here, we do some specialized training, some of those academics, and then 
What we've done is we've focused the academics that lead into a trip. For example, we'll talk a lot about supply chain management. We'll talk about uh, software engineering. We'll talk about program offices and contracts. And then we'll take the students out to Hill for a week where they have depots out there. They've got a software engineering group. They've got program offices as well as operations. So we're, we're trying to focus our academics that then lead our students to an experiential place right. where they can then go and ask the smart questions and learn and really kind of enhance on the academics. So it's not just book on the FM side. So we, we teach them a lot about the, you know, PPB and E process and, and, the, and then we send them to DC and actually have them shadow current PIMS that are sitting in the building in DC and, and, and watch the day-to-day -day grind that they go through as they have to justify programs in front of Congress and in front of HASCs and SASCs and, and, and what does that really mean and how, how is money truly a weapon system because it truly is. And so, but they get the academics first and then they get to go see it. And then while we're out at a lot of these places, we're able, we try and go meet up with defense contractors. We try to meet up with industry personnel, especially with the big focus these days on small businesses and the Sibbers program. And so we meet up with those folks when we're in San Antonio, as well as the, uh, the cyber warriors that are there. So we're trying to make our trips a flavor of everything, of the, that integration piece. And then we always end up back at Nellis with their uh, second core academics and then, and then hopefully being able to participate in what they call, what it really is their capstone exercise, it's about the last three to four weeks of the course, is their WISN, and that's Weapon School Integration. And that's just every platform comes back. They have a series of high-level, high-fidelity exercises mm -hmm. that they force the students to integrate their own platforms into other ones and basically fight little mini tactical engagements. Um, and so how do we infuse acquisitions into that? How can acquisitions bring something into that fight? And so the course itself is designed to be experiential and operational and you know industrial and academic and all of that. And so it's a it is definitely not going to be for the faint of heart. Right. Right. So prepare to be on the road a lot. Right. So what outcomes have participants reported after completing the program? Oh, that's great. Uh, and, and so this is one of those, um, you know, in the operational world, it's the, the weapon school has been around since the 70s. I mean, it, you know, with everything that they've done. And, and it even has its roots all the way back to the, the gunnery school back in 1949 and post-World War II and of course, post-Korea, post-Vietnam. And so it, there's a very established systematic approach to how they use their weapons officers coming out of the weapons school. With the acquisition enterprise being as broad as it is, uh, it's really something that we're starting to condition the folks that get our graduates back on the best way to utilize them so that so that they can be that integrator, that instructor, so they have that thing. And so what we've seen is a lot of the folks that come out, they get put in a kind of a higher level position that allows them the freedom to kind of look across some of those portfolios and then inject themselves where they can be the most use or acquisitions leadership are putting them into places where they can 
be that integrating force and be that uh, that kind of change agent and disruptor and, and that, that problem solver that comes with it. I will say, you know, with the pandemic and and us making the, the strategic decision to send those folks home with the lockdown happening and just the, the lack of supplies that were needed in the United States and the Air Force in general, all of our students that, that we had to send home were immediately snatched up to go do high level pandemic response jobs, whether it was, you know, Deputy Air Force liaison to FEMA or the, lia- the Air Force li- liaison to FEMA or, or leading one of those lines of efforts. And, and I got folks that are still doing that on the side as part of their day-to-day job. So, so it was really encouraging to see the acquisitions community use our early graduates when we were still very, very fledgling, yeah. the way that the operational community uses their weapons officers in times of national crisis. Yeah. So put them in a room, say, figure it out, and don't come out until you're good to go, right. and putting them into those positions where they're actually able to make decisions and have those conversations. And so we see it a lot out of the Space Force. Uh, Lieutenant General Thompson out at SSC mm-hmm. has taken every one of his grads and, and strategically placed them into places that he knows that they're going to make the biggest impact based on the skill set that they've learned and based on you know their abilities that have come in. And, and, and kind of going back to your other, you know, these folks that are coming that we've selected because of the high numbers, low selection rate. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're already really top performers. I mean, they're, they're already rock stars up there. We're just trying to infuse into them. We're trying to make them you know, incrementally better at their job because they're already awesome at their job. Mm-hmm. And just infuse that mentality of, okay, now go teach somebody. Right. Go, go, right. You know, go build somebody else up. Go teach them. Go lead them That's the force into what rights are. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, that's, and, and, and use the network that you've learned through our travels in the operational world and industry and everything else. And, and to me, that's probably one of the biggest advantages of going through a program like AQUIC or the Weapon School is the network that you build and the ability to pick up the phone and call anywhere and say, let me talk to your patchware. And on the operational side, I mean, it happens every day. And, I, and really, we want to get to the point to where the operational side can pick up the phone and call their program office and say, let me talk to your patchware. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. Acquisitions can pick up the phone and call an operational unit and say, let me talk to your patchware. And now they're talking on semi-equal ground, right? I'm not going right, to put a quick right. on the same plane as the weapon school. We got, we got a lot of growth to do right. before we do that. But, you know, we're trying to get there. But, you know, the acquisitions instructor school patch or, you know, instructor course patch is on its base level, it's equivalent, according to AFI, it's equivalent to the weapon school patch, right? Now, do we provide the same things? No. But I want them, you know, I want folks to think of our graduates in that same manner mm-hmm. on both sides so that that network can happen. Doesn't need to happen at the 06, 07 level. You know, we already talked about this is where the rubber meets the road. Let, let these very smart folks that have been trained get after these problems, right? Take it off your plate, please, and, and let, let these folks, you'll be amazed at what they come up with. Right. So, sir, last question. What are the baseline requirements of the program and how do folks apply? Oh, that's great because it's, and it's very fitting because our 22 alpha nominations are on the streets right now. So the, the, the nomination window is open. 
and it'll be open until uh, late July. And then after that, the selection board will convene and then uh, they'll go about and do their things, ideally making the selection for that January 2022 start date, um, probably about mid-August is, is what we're hoping for. But qualifications, basically, I mean, one, you know, be that tactical expert. Fight to be that tactical expert. Put yourself out there and do what the Air Force has trained you to do and do it at a, and do it at a high level. Two, have that willingness to share your knowledge with others and really have that desire like to to be better and to make your unit better around you you got to have a top secret clearance just so you know like uh that that's one of the things that we've run into probably the biggest is folks that have that top secret clearance because it's it's day one it's required that the, the first day that we sit in class in nellis with the rest of our operational counterparts they are immediately going into the TSSCI and above level. So uh, in order for our students to get that full experience, they have to have that. And, and a lot of folks, anytime we do an ask me anything or, 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 we, or we field questions from them, um, that's, that's probably one of their number one concerns. I would say for folks that are out there, talk to your leadership. There's ways that you can get your billet coded to need it or slide you into a different billet that already has it. But if if this if a quick is something that you want to do, start working that now, right. and you know, and 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 you may have to forego it because it does take a long time. You may not be able to go to the alpha class, and you're shooting for the the Bravo the Bravo course. But how to apply? So the word, like I said, it's out there on the street. What what we've done is uh, we're able to send out a message to all six X's from 01 to 06 across the the 6x career field so all of your operational assignments teams are have signed off on the nomination process that goes out so so don't do what you know a lot of folks do and immediately auto delete any my purse messages make sure you look at them at least probably around um you know july august and then probably you know early january yeah i saw one for, for the next course early july yep so there's at least one of them out there already yep. and and then we have a we have an a quick workflow box that you can find uh in the global and it's attached to the calling message and and then we also do a we do road shows anytime we're, we're on the road uh while our students are learning and while while we're um, we make it a point to try and get cgos and folks so that we can spread the word that are out there the nomination process, in all, in all honesty, is pretty simple. The, the, the hardest thing is getting that, that clearance together and then getting a nomination from your wing commander, SML equivalent, you know, PEO equivalent that's up there. Um, and it's, it's really just one nomination letter. And then, it, and then it's a copy of your records. It's, mm-hmm. hey, let me see your acquisition surf. Let me see your AMS surf. Let me see, uh, you know, standard stuff. Let me see your PT test. I got to make sure that you're, you know, you're within standards and you're going to uphold the image that we, you know, we want you to uphold. Let me see your, you know, your, your performance records, whether it's civilian or personnel, to make sure that there's no uh, derogatory. Go get a career field release from your officer assignment team. But it, but it really is. I, it really is a pretty basic application process, and then, and then we coalesce them, and the uh, and the selection board does their thing, and then they'll, they'll generally narrow it down, and then do phone interviews, and then they'll narrow it down for a second time for those that are selected. One of the big questions that we always get out of the nomination process is, with ten students covering that many functional areas, mm-hmm. 
do we set quotas? The short answer is no, we don't set quotas. We are looking for best athlete, mm -hmm. but we recognize that in order to have the best learning experience, that it is, uh, it behooves us to have that, a good smattering of folks. Right. And, and to be honest with you, we are involved with contracting uh, DTs, like they invite us to come talk and discuss applicants. FM invites us to uh, join their DTs and they discuss upcoming AQUIC nominations and, and applicants. And, and we're starting to meet with the, uh, your, your 6.2s and your 6.3s and their equivalents. Um, and, and so it's really about make your desires known to your leadership and let your leader, you know, if, and if they have questions, reach out to us. I mean, we are, I, I answer most of the questions myself personally, uh, mostly because I'm just now starting to get a cadre in there and it was just me and, <laughs> yeah. you know, one other person for the last six months, but now we're starting to get actual previous grad cadre mm -hmm. that, that are a part of it. And so just keep your eye out for the MyPERS messages, um, reach out to the org box and ask questions if, if you haven't seen anything in a while. You know, just I, I would tell people just don't be shy. You know, that's because to me that's a that's a qualifier, right? right? I I have nothing against introverts. I think that they're very good, and they we've actually had some really good introverts. But shyness, right. I I need folks to be bold, and if they want to do something, in a lot of cases, you know, nobody loves you like you love you. Mm -hmm. So you take the initiative to go after what you want whether it's talking to your boss or just reaching out. You know, you know nobody's ever been killed uh, in modern times for asking a question. So that's, that's, my, uh, that's my advice to anybody that you know, is interested in that. I love it. Right, and they, and they could email me directly um, or uh, if they want to and I'll make sure that they get to the right. A lot, a lot of folks do email me directly and what I do is put them at ease by putting them in contact with either a previous grad or now one of my cadre member who's more on that peer level, right? right? Because let's face it, some folks are like, uh, I don't want <laughs> to email the colonel, you know, I don't want to email, right. you know, the leader, that type of deal. Right. But they, they open up a lot more about what it is, you know, they're looking for when they talk to there. So, but I'm telling everybody right now, email me directly if you need to. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> All right, sir. Well, thanks again for being on the podcast and, and message to everybody out there. Be bold and know what you want. Absolutely. Go for it. Thank you so much. If you have suggestions for topics or people to interview or feedback on the podcast, you can submit those at thecontractingexperience at gmail.com. I want to thank you all for listening to the Contracting Experience podcast. Until next time, keep connecting to the world around you.